Welcome to the Sheila Kramer Extractive Podcast. Uh, today I'm hosting Christian Mula-Mula. Christian is an investment officer at the IFC with over 20 years experience in infrastructure and natural resources. He currently leads the IFC infrastructure team in Nigeria. His background is in engineering, accounting and finance. I have had the pleasure of working with uh, Christian uh, as part of the Simandu negotiation team in Guinea-Conakry. Christian, welcome to the Sheila Kham Extractive Podcast. Thank you, Sheila. Pleasure to be here. Lovely. So I wanted to speak with you about uh, uh, public-private partnerships. What do we mean by public-private partnerships? Thanks again, Sheila. So th there really isn't any consensus on how to define PPPs, which is public-private partnerships. You know, the, the term can be used to cover hundreds of, of, of different types of uh, long-term uh, contracts with a range of risk allocations, funding arrangements, and transparency requirements. For example, the OECD defines our PPPs as long-term contractual agreements between governments and private partners. Okay. But however, here are the key elements that you'll typically find in a PPP. First of all, it's a long-term arrangement between a government and a private sector. Then it typically involves private capital funding what you'd call government projects and services upfront. Typically, the private party is the one who brings in the financing, bears the risk and management responsibility for the contracts. And he, as a result of Put installing infrastructure provides services which typically you think think a government would provide, whether it's water, uh, gas, electricity, telephone. Now, good contracts, good PPP contracts will typically be structured such that there's remuneration for the private sector operator that is linked to performance or somehow linked to demand or use of those services. So anything that sort of looks like that, you would could describe it as a PPP. And just to give you some history, Shayla, these PPPs grew up, grew out of the 1980s, and it was mostly in Britain where they they, they came to, to the fore when Britain went through this process of, of, of selling off its telephone and, and electricity and gas and water and railway companies to private uh, companies to operate them through PPPs. So that's generally what, what PPPs are, are about, Shayla. Lovely. So I... We know the context, as you rightly say, that they were originally uh, started with uh, the privatization of the huge uh, public enterprise machine in the UK. When we bring them onto the African continent, or better still, emerging market countries, what role do they play? What contribution do they make to development, which without PPPs might not be achieved? I think when you find, um, when, when governments have pursued PPP structures, what are, they, what are they trying to achieve? Primarily, in most cases, they are trying to lessen uh, the, the financial burden to the government's budget, okay? So very often, governments are running into constraints, fiscal constraints, but at the same time, they want to be able to continue to provide uh, services or provide new services and that requires infrastructure and their their balances or their their budgets just do not have the fiscal space to 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 do that so typically that's 
what causes governments in especially in Africa to begin to look uh, to, to to PPPs and then just developing that thought a little bit further they see an opportunity to access uh, private sector funding um, that you know to to provide that infrastructure without impacting um, their, their their own their own budgets and then also again more, more as a secondary objective they see it as an opportunity to improve efficiency you know improve efficiency introduce innovation you know Sheila you might remember you know for a long time for example um, African countries had their national railway service in Tanzania it was the Tanzara which ran all the way from Tanzania to to, to Zambia but eventually this uh, railway services run run into the ground just because they are not efficient, they, they, they are not profitable, um, and and therefore that's how governments come around and seek the opportunity to bring in PPPs because they are looking to introduce uh, th th those efficiencies. And again, linked to that, they look at the private sector and they see that the private sector tends to be more market oriented, it's more nimble. So if they are providing that infrastructure, they are likely to be able to be more commercially oriented and therefore that infrastructure is likely to be more sustainable. Um, in some cases, uh, governments look, look to PPPs to operate infrastructure in order to shield that infrastructure from political interference. You know, very often when you have a national airline, for example, you know, uh, the, the, the senior politicians will call the head of the national airline and say, I'm sending my family, give them tickets to London or whatever. And the head of the national airline can't do, really do anything about it, you know, because it's a pu public airline. So again, PPPs, you know, bringing in the private sector helps insulate um, uh, the, the, the infrastructure operators from some of those, th those risks. And then just some minor points I'll just throw up is, for example, in PPPs, it gives you an opportunity to get the user to pay directly for the service. So if it's a toll road, instead of the government running that toll road and managing it on a day-to-day -day basis, the users pay tolls for it. And therefore, those to those user toll fees go towards maintaining um, uh, that, that infrastructure. So I think those are some of the things that, um, that you know, in Africa, in fact, actually, that that's those are the same reasons that caused the UK to look towards PPPs, and African countries are coming to to the same realization and beginning to use them more. More Sheila. Sure. So you you've said a mouthful. Let, let's follow through in a couple of issues. The first, if I understand you correctly, mm -hmm. seems to be uh, at the project stage itself, which is to say designing, executing, and then commissioning a project. So what you're saying is that at this stage, uh, the, the PPPs are helpful because one, the private uh, partner brings in capital and then the expertise to design and execute a project wherein in the absence of either capital or expertise, the governments are burdened uh, and and perhaps handicapped in trying is 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 that part of the contribution? Yes, absolutely, and 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 that's why they they would look to the private sector uh, because they feel that the private sector, for example, as as has the experience, has has a track record uh, of of. For example, if it's a toll road operating a toll road, if it's an airport, they have the the, the experience of constructing airports, make, meaning making sure that the, the layouts make sense, making sure that, for example, those the 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 design of the airport maximizes the revenue opportunity. You know, I mean, if you if you remember the airports in the 60s, all they were is pretty much a runway, you know, and you'd collect landing charges. But if you look at airports today, 
you know, the runway is probably the, the least important part of the airport. The airport is pretty much just like a, it's a shopping mall uh, that happens to be linked to uh, a runway, you know, and it has passengers coming in and out, and those passengers have, you know, can 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 shop. Uh, at at the at the concession stands, there are, there are hotels that are part of the airport, and and so those that that's sort of the private sector bringing in that know-how, bringing in that know-how, not only in the construction phase but also in the design and making sure that the airport is linked to a wider economy and and maximizes uh, the, the opportunity. So yes, absolutely, it's it's not just the financing, but obviously the financing yes is very important. Yep. So if we think about it then, do we see these sort of arrangements? Let's stick to the airport uh, concept because you are absolutely correct. If you just look at it as a tarmac, uh, then you miss the point. But if you look at it as an ecosystem, uh, a transit point where people have different needs from uh, hotels to shopping, to interacting, to hold meetings, then the ecosystem changes in terms of uh, its entrepreneurial potential. The question is, do we see these PPPs then as a permanent way of uh, delivering service or do we see them as a transition phase while we give governments opportunity to raise capital, have enough in public coffers to invest and acquire skills or, or how do we see this going forward? I think, I think, I think PPP structures are here to stay. You know, uh, because you know, e even after you've you've built a certain amount of the need for infrastructure will never cease. You know, because populations continue to grow, uh, the economies continue to expand, and even after you've rolled out one piece of infrastructure, there will be need for the next piece of infrastructure and the next piece of infrastructure. So I, I think, I think PPP structures are gonna be here with us for a long time because governments will always see them as an opportunity to serve their people while easing the burden on their budgets. Governments will always be budgetarily constrained. Uh, and, and remember, economics is, is really about sort of how to allocate, you know, scarce resources towards sort of infinite needs, if you want to think about it that way. And PPPs sort of address that problem. Governments will always be have limited resources and the needs will always be infinite almost out there and they will always tap into PPP structures to close that gap. Now, if your question is about individual PPPs, individual PPPs tend to be term limited. You know, there are 20 year PPPs or 30 year PPPs. And at the end of that term, then the PPP lapses. Now the government has an opportunity obvious to figure out whether it wants to renew it, go in a different direction, you know, maybe that that use infrastructure is no longer necessary at that location and so that's an opportunity to to sort of knock it down and do something different with that piece of land etc so so yeah I, I i think ppps you know that's why they, they are given a term limit because it gives the government a flexibility to have it run through its term and then it figures out uh what what is going to happen next and just to clarify that point Typically, PPP structures will be such that at the end of the term of the PPP, the infrastructure returns back to the to the to the public sector, to the government, and the government can figure out what it wants to do going forward. Sheila. Mm -hmm. So, 
I want to look at uh, PPPs in the context, say, for instance, of uh, mining projects. Uh, governments often, in addition to uh, a development agreement, might uh, contain a requirement, for instance, to provide services to communities. In this context, what are we doing here? Is it simply a case of the license to operate or what are we seeking to achieve here when we link PPPs to development agreements? I, I think it's a mixture, both Sheila, because, um, you know, for example, if you're developing a, a, a mine or, for example, or an or, or a, a oil and gas field at some remote location, and then you need to evacuate your 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 product, um, whether it's the, the the crude oil or if it's a, a an ore of some sort. So you need transport infrastructure. So the question is, does the government provide that transport infrastructure, or does it go to a PPP arrangement, you know, with the mining operator or you know the oil and gas operator to provide that infrastructure? And I think the latter makes a lot more sense, you know, because both parties' their interests are aligned. The government is interested in getting those that product moved so that it earns revenues, and the operator is interested in moving his product and so that he can earn revenues. So, so interests are aligned, and so it makes sense for the operator, for example, to come in and operate that PPP structure. But at the same time, it's also a politically or political opportunity for the government to bring infrastructure to a local community, you know, uh, so that now that local communities are, has access to you know, rail transportation, uh, whether it's it's cargo or passenger. Uh, so, so I think I think I I think it's it's a mixture of all those things coming together um, around um, uh, a natural resources project, uh, 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 and 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 also an opportunity for the community uh, to benefit, and that brings in the license to operate sort of kind of angle to it. So it's that mix all that's. That's that soup coming together, and and what are the ingredients? Are the the resource itself and the PPP structures and the communities and the government all all mixed in there, Sheila? So so it, it it's uh, as you speak, I'm picturing this, and I'm seeing again a, a kind of using of um the resource, whether it is oil or mineral deposits, and then the ingenuity of the state negotiating and basically creating not just domestic linkages, but also uh, a, a sort of multiplier effect by demanding and attaching to what would otherwise, to your point, uh, using the airport have been just a, a runway. All of a sudden, because you see the realm of possibilities, you attach yep. to the development agreement, all these things, the result of which is that you achieve that uh, broader value uh, addition that otherwise would not be there if you just took uh, a single view. I mean, if I were a miner, I would argue that all you're doing is you've made my project more expensive. What is the value proposition then by governments to private companies in this incidence who must undertake sometimes developments that are outside of their own specific infrastructure need? How how what is the what is the justification? Is it simply the right to mine? cost of doing business or is, do we attach any value to this from a private sector perspective? Yeah, I, th I think, yeah, look, I mean, if, if one wants to be very narrow-minded, one might as a private uh, 
natural resource operator, you might say, my job is just to drill the oil well. You know, you as a government find a way to get it to the to the coast so that I can ship it or evacuate it, whatever way, you know. But if if you as an operator quickly realize that, you know, that doesn't actually do anything for you. And at some point, you want to have a discussion with the government about, you know, how do we figure out an evacuation route for this? And and so to me, I think it is, there's, there's, there's a coming together, you know, there's a common interest, you know, and, and once both parties realize that there's a common interest, then it's it's really just a question of how do we negotiate the the the, the, the arrangements, you know, because the, the operator wants to be able to operate, but he wants to evacuate his product. For example, government is interested in all that happening. Once both parties realize that that they, they, they have a common interest, then it's really now about negotiating the intricacies of it, the details. And and you know at some point, the government might have to provide some incentives because the private sector will be bringing a significant amount of capital. So the government will need to write into those agreements, for example, opportunities for the investor to recover his capital. And so long as the deal makes sense, the investor is probably going to be willing to move forward with it because it allows him to develop his deposit and make some money for himself and retire. Uh, and, and earn a return on, on investment. So so I, I, I think once the two parties overcome the initial uh, maybe psychological challenges of of realizing that their interests are aligned, the rest of it is really, you know, a, a just a negotiation process to arrive at something, at a win-win arrangement that works for the government. It gets the projects developed, the communities get an opportunity, the infrastructure is rolled out, and the private sector has a, a project that is actually working, evacuating or, 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 or crude oil, and they're making money for themselves and in a, a return on investment. And that's really about the negotiation of it. Sheila. Okay. So listening to you, I see a correlation then between the physical location uh, of the project and potential for expansive PPP such that uh, on land, the opportunity to be impactful using PPPs is more likely greater than offshore because also there is no interface uh, with communities and there's no interface with the rest of the economy. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think so. I think so. If if, if you look at the heart and soul of uh, PPPs, it's all about, at the end of the day, delivering some services at the end of the day and the services that require some sort of infrastructure. Now, the it's it's in it's it takes it's people who consume services okay so the 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 only place you will be looking to provide services is is around people now uh most people obviously live on land and therefore you have every reason to imagine that your ppps will most likely be on land now but there, there are some exceptions for example so in the power sector you'd have uh, uh solar farms and and wind farms which sometimes are offshore you know you find this a lot in the scandinavian countries for example because they are constrained their land constraint so they have their 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 renewable energy projects offshore, uh, but it's it's simply because you can run a power hydro transmission line from from the the middle of the sea on land easily and evacuate that that power. So so there's, there will still be the benefit whether it's 
uh, Norway or Sweden, they would benefit from that renewable energy, even though the actual infrastructure from the PPP is offshore. You know, so that's an example of of, of some some exception, but there are not many of those. Uh, the tunnel, you know, you might argue it's on land because it's underground, but it's sort of in the middle of the, the you know the English Channel. Uh, but again, what does it do? It connects England and and and, and France. Uh, under the sea, so you might argue is it offshore or not, but again, what does it do? It renders a service, it connects people, you know, uh, transportation, people and goods actually, between, between France and England, bridges the same, they might not, may not be onshore the way we'd like to think of onshore, but what do they do? They provide that service connecting people between uh, two land masses. But I think your, your statement is, is, is accurate. Generally, you'd have PPP structures executed on onshore providing services onshore whether it's toll roads uh, airports you know uh, power stations etc Sheila absolutely so you know of course uh, you you will know this more than most being in Nigeria that uh, in part because of perception of social risk a lot of the uh, oil companies are selling off some of their onshore assets while they are retaining the offshore. And, and even though it, it may not necessarily be articulated that way, avoiding the, the tension and friction on land uh, is yep. part of the, the problem. So social risk is, is a big issue. And I wanted to get a sense from you of whether you think the advent of ESG has increased or decreased the importance of PPPs, especially with a view to addressing the social aspect of ESG. Yeah, so so if if you look at uh, uh, the government, the role of government in PPP structures, you'll find that where there tends to be a lot of friction with the community, or rather the potential for a lot of friction with the communities, then government will 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 will, will extend a longer arm. Of involvement, even if it's going with a PPP structure, and, and I'll give you just a quick example. You know, all over the world, there are a lot of PPPs in energy electricity generation. Okay, whether it's a, a gas facilities, a renewable solar, uh, wind, um, coal facilities, there, there are lots of PPP structures whereby they are largely driven by the private sector. But when you come to nuclear uh, power, they tend to be public sector driven why because the, the heightened risk of of on, on on the environmental side because we're dealing with nuclear power so that's an extreme example that show of of where the government pretty much extends an over encompassing arm on nuclear energy because it just doesn't feel that there's it is willing to pass the management of those facilities to the private sector you know uh, 100% you know, as compared, for example, to a coal facility. However, generally, more broadly, the, the government will also get involved a lot more where you have a PPP structure that will require a right of way. So if you're building a toll road, the government might be nervous about the ability of the private company to go and move people, resettle them, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and will will handle some of those facilities so you can see there's a certain there's a heightened amount of concern or or, or or oversight that the government will need 
to exercise for certain types of projects because of their greater ESG uh, risks. But but having said that, just on an average project, you know, um, the government can still sort of have a slightly lesser fair sort of approach to it, so long as it has got regulators, you know, and and, and typically how, how you'll do, it, do this is that you'd have a separate regulator who manages the ENS, the ESG aspects and make sure that that the the, the PPP operator, the concessionaire, uh, complies with the, the various uh, policies and, and procedures with respect to environmental and, and social. Uh, and, and so it has been managed, you know. It, it, I think the systems need to be in place. The government needs to pay attention to those issues. Uh, but otherwise, I would, other than the exceptions that I, I spoke of earlier, by and large, uh, PPP projects have been able to be executed and have been able to conform to, to, to the requirements so long as the government has, has set up regulators to manage the ESG side of it and has the capacity to do that. The, the, the challenge tends to be when the government just doesn't have the capacity to, to do that and, 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 and then things can sort of go a bit uh, wary. Sure. Sheila. So I wonder, um, you've made observations about uh, offshore PPPs in, uh, say, uh, wind, uh, you know, turbines and wind-generated uh, energy in uh, the North Sea. What do we know about the impact of transition to clean energy on uh, the continent of Africa, for instance? Are we seeing that the uh, PPP models are on the increase or declining as governments wish to transist from, uh, say, uh, fossil fuel generated uh, energy? Because it is true, isn't it, that a lot of energy is generated by state-owned entities. Are we seeing PPPs emerging there as part of the energy transition? Absolutely, Sheila. I think I think I would I would use uh, South Africa as as an example. You know, traditionally, es Escom was uh, was 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 the had a monopoly, pretty much monopoly on on uh, electricity sector in in South Africa, both you know, uh, generation, transmission, and 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 obviously distribution. Uh, but you've seen more recently. You know, uh, they have now put out bids uh, for for solar generation. Um, and this is grid scale solar generation uh, in South Africa. So I, I think we with with this um, need to transition to clean energy, I think if anything, it is gonna increase the the the, the use of PPP structures as governments recognize the need to roll out new additional infrastructure as part of their commitments. Uh, you know uh, the Paris Paris uh, 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 agreement, and and that includes, for example, grid scale uh, solar generation facilities. That includes wind farms. That includes, for example, charging stations. You know, because now as we move to EV elect uh, electrical vehicles, uh, that then you now need to set up charging stations for those electrical vehicles and all that. And those are all opportunities for PPP structures. You know, uh, there's a lot of talk about hydrogen and hydrogen replacing, for example, natural gas. So again, I think that will create opportunities for 
hydrogen generation through PPP structures, uh, hydrogen pipelines, because you need to move that, that hydrogen around. And then another opportunity, I think also, uh, because I know this is going on in Nigeria, there's some research on this, is, is the whole area of carbon capture, uh, storage and sequestration. So I, again, that'll be, I think that'll be an opportunity again for the private sector to be able to come through via PPP structures, you know, doing carbon capture, you know, storage. And then if you want to, permanent storage, which is sequestration, you know, uh, uh, underground, whatever. So I, all those, I think, create more opportunity, Sheila, because I think you still have your traditional PPPs, whether it's tall roads or bridges or whatever, you'll, you'll still have those. But now you'll have an additional uh, realm of new uh, infrastructure needs and new uh, PPP uh, opportunities. And remember, in, in as we transition to cleaner technology, government budgets have not changed. Okay, so it's like the needs have increased, if anything, the budgets have pretty much stayed the same, and therefore the governments will find a need to tap more into these PPP structures in order to address um, uh, their, 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 their commitments to the, to the Paris uh, Agreement. Yeah, you are right about uh, that, because not only are, uh, do governments not have deep pockets, but we are also moving into a new technological space. Uh, yeah. the, the the green uh the clean energy and green transition is essentially an a hugely uh technologically innovative space and here government will need uh private sector innovators to help uh you know uh, make that uh transition but but I, I also think an important part of what you're saying uh about, the transition to clean energy and the importance of PPPs is that, of course, companies will be struggling to offset their carbon emissions, wherein governments also will be wanting to essentially lower uh, carbon emissions across the whole economy. And I think it is this intersection of mutual dependence where, to your point, in some countries, the capacity to sequestrate is quite high. And that is exactly the, the kind of offset that uh, you know companies may be looking for. In others, for instance, in desert countries, the ability to uh, create green belts offer companies uh, the opportunity to offset. At the same time, uh, it's deforestation is a key thing for government. So you can see here that there is clearly a potential meeting of minds and a potential mutual benefit through uh, PPPs. Let me ask you one last question, and this is more conventional. So, you know, we know that whether it's mineral oil and gas, governments have struggled to pass uh, the financial benefits directly to citizens. And I wonder whether substituting fiscal receipts for social services in the form of PPPs might be the answer to facilitating that quick uh, impact that has so far eluded governments that many of them have very received very high uh, fiscal payments, but they just never trickle down. Is, is the answer uh, PPP social services perhaps in, as a substitute? You know, that's an interesting thought, Sheila. You know, let, let me think a little bit about it. You know, because, yeah, you're, you're right, because, you know, 
the governments earn sort of royalties and 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 taxes, uh, you know, from the extractive industry, you know, and and there's been a lot of criticism that you know those government that those those revenues go into the the the, the fiscal uh, uh, coffers, and uh, they pretty much disappear there, you know, and 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 the citizens see nothing out of it, and I think you're onto something, Sheila. One could argue that if the government entered into an arrangement with with the operator, let's call him an operator for now, whereby the operator provided uh, um, uh, through a PPP structure, provided certain infrastructure services, and the PPP agreement was negotiated such that in lieu of royalties and taxes paid to the government, that PPP operator ought to provide certain services. For example, if he's providing a toll road of some sort, then there's a subsidy on the the the, the tolls um, that the that the users have to pay on the of if it's generating electricity as opposed to charging a, a full uh full full electric ta- electricity tariff he he provides a subsidy which is equivalent to those royalties and 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 taxes that he would have paid to government uh, and and that way those benefits effectively trickle directly to the consumers of that service or the, or the users of those services I think I think there is merit in 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 that in that argument, and I think it's something that that governments might want to pursue um, uh, uh, further. They might not maybe offset the entire uh, proceeds or royalties, but maybe they might they might be willing to give up a certain proportion of those royalties and taxes, and in return through a PPP structures allow their citizens to receive. You know, uh, cheaper, cheaper services in in one form or the other. Um, I I think this, Sheila, that's definitely an interesting idea that ought to be pursued, Sheila. Well, thank you very much. Let's hope somebody else in power agrees with you and I and takes it forward. Christian, it was lovely speaking with you, and thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Sheila, thank you for inviting me onto your show, and uh, it was a pleasure being here.